Hello and welcome to State News Sports Roundtable Summer Edition. Yep, we're back officially here for the summertime. I am your host, Eli McCowan, and today I'm joined by Devin Anderson-Torres and our new public and mental health beat reporter, Sarah Tidwell. How are we doing, everybody? I mean, we're just doing. I finally, after I think the last haircut I had was like in February, I finally did it. Had like, you know, mom just, I was like, mom, we got to get this done buzz cut it and now we're just we're just living life so it's a good time so sarah you have a new role here you're no longer a technical technically you're no longer a sports bro how does it feel yeah i don't i don't really like it i mean i like reporting on new things but i definitely miss sports sports is where i am meant to be so it's different You'll be back. You'll be back. And then it'll be Sports Pro all over again. Fall will be great. So today, before we hop into our discussion, um, I want to explain how our pod's going to work moving forward. So we're going to be coming to you on a bi-weekly basis in our typical format, while also hopefully bringing on some guests over the course of the summer as well. But for this week, we have on Devin and Sarah to discuss recent developments and how things are developing. With sports currently, there's been a lot of stuff happening over the last few weeks. So we brought Sarah on not only for her sports knowledge, and but also for her public and mental health expertise now. And then Devin, he wrote a recent column that we're going to hop into right now about fall sports and then fall football specifically coming back. So Devin, I'm going to start with you. You want to talk about what you wrote this last week? Yeah, so um, I wrote a column about, you know, Spartan football and how it could return in the fall, but more importantly, why it may need to wait. And, um, you know, health and safety are kind of at the premise of that, where, you know, if it's not going to be safe to come back, then I don't think it's going to happen, especially considering, um, you know, Governor Whitmer's aggressive action. So, yeah, I basically talked about, you know, there's really no surefire plan to get players on the field. And even Fauci doesn't know. And we kind of looked at some of that throughout the column, but more importantly, you have to examine if there's going to be a chance of a second wave from football really packing stadiums and um, that. And if there's a chance, I don't just don't think football will happen as soon as we hope. Yeah, like the way you wrapped up that article was by saying, you know, and it was pretty powerful the way you ended it. It was like, when the time's right, we got to hit it. You know, and it, and it is important that we get it with the times right where we can get these football players safe. Not even just football. Also, a lot of other fall sports are waiting in limbo here. Volleyball, um, field hockey's in, in that time as well, if I'm remembering correctly. Cross country. Um, there's a men's lot of soccer, yeah. men's soccer, yeah. women's soccer, everything. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the non-res we're going to get to here soon as well. So, Sarah, with your public and mental health expertise, when do you think that time could be right? Honestly, I don't know if we're going to be able to have sports in the fall. Um, There has been talk. Moderna is like this biotech company, and it was announced today that they were one of the first companies to conduct trials with an experimental vaccine for the coronavirus on people. And they're also the first to find a safe and stimulated immune response to the virus. So basically, like this preliminary test they did. Um, They took eight healthy volunteers between the ages of 18 and 55, and those volunteers produced antibodies that were then tested against infected cells in the lab, and those kind of showed like a clear stop of any replication, which is, you know, obviously a key requirement for an effective vaccine. But just because a vaccine has been found now um, 
it takes months upon months to, you know, get that vaccine to be right because they have to go through different phases. It has to go through FDA approval. It has to go through CDC approval. Different people have to sign on it on different levels of the health agencies. So honestly, I really don't know if the time is going to be right for sports in the fall. Like I've also just interviewed Emily um, Garant, which is the spokesperson for MSU. And she kind of talked to me about how they don't even know, like, if we're going to do classes in the fall, if people are going to get to move on to campus and live in the dorms, how cafeterias are going to look. They're going through a bunch of different plans to see, okay, if we have this number of students, how can we provide them masks? How can we provide them hand sanitizer? Are we going to have to test everybody? Are we going to have to kind of contact trace everybody, which is where, you know, you ask people, okay, who have you been seeing? Who have you been in contact with in the last length number of days so that they can also be you know like told okay you might be um you might have been exposed to coronavirus and that kind of thing and then the whole talk again about the vaccine like we need to have something set in place that we know that we can use because it definitely won't be safe to have uh, a group of players obviously a full team against another full team on a field if we can't even have a classroom full of 50 people so you kind of have to think like okay if we can't even have a classroom, we shouldn't be putting people on a field. We obviously shouldn't be putting people in the stadium. I feel like, in my opinion, it should honestly just wait. And I am a huge football fan, but honestly, I feel like it should just wait because it's more important. The health and safety of our players is more important than the actual season taking place. And I know lots of people would definitely like disagree with that because they want football to happen. But if you think about it in the long run, we want these players to be able to continue their careers. We want to see them go to the NFL in the future. So I feel like we have to take it on a public health and safety um, regimen first and realize that like, okay, well, we can't really, you know, have sports if we don't have the safety to do it. So do you think, uh, I guess I'll ask you this, and you may not even have a full concrete answer on it, but it's more or less like, is playing in the fall, I mean, obviously it's looking like in the fall having a vaccine is just not going to be likely. So is it even likely that we see college athletics without a, a concrete end solution to the COVID-19 pandemic? Yes, yeah, I don't, uh, you said, like you said, I don't have a, like a solid answer to that, really, because even Emily told me that they still are going through different trials. They don't really know what's coming. It's all kind of okay, we're going to look, we're going to research, we're going to discuss, and we're going to change on what comes up. But in my opinion, again, I really don't think we should be putting teams of 15 to 20 different people in the same place as, you know, a team of another 15 to 20 different people. I feel like, because also, you know, we shouldn't be putting fans in there either. Everything should stay clean. It should stay sanitized. It, um, like, students should just kind of, I guess it's going to be a break from sports that nobody really wants, but we really need because like if I'm sure you guys agree it definitely does not look safe to be putting people out like doing sports for entertainment right now we should be caring more about keeping them safe absolutely and I mean I think one of the things too with it is like I I had a couple people ask me um, about um, a couple friends of mine asked me and they were like you know why can't the you know college athletics do something that like the NBA or the major league baseball is doing where they're talking about having like a bubble of some sort where they play on like, a, or they play somewhere. And I'm like, I don't think you realize that like, you can't ask college athletes, like these are students first, whether, you know, I mean, there's obviously, you know, the arguments about that with the name image likeness and all those different things going on right now. But like, you can't ask these kids to come play in a bubble. 
And that's something that's scary. And it's something that the NCAA is going to have to sit down and figure out. And Mark Emmer announced, I believe it was sometime last week, that the NCAA would not have a blanket restart to sports, to the fall sports or anything, and be like, hey, this is the set date we're going to start, and that they would rather leave it up to the university presidents and health officials in each state and to recommend whether they would start playing sports or not. Um, I mean, Devin, what was kind of your reaction to that announcement? Um. For one, I think the NCAA has a, um, you know, they should be taking a little bit more responsibility on coming up with an action plan instead of, like, leaving it on each of these individual universities. But at the same time, we've already seen, you know, schools in California go completely online. We've seen, um, you know, some schools say, you know, we're opening regardless. So, I mean, I guess I can see why they left it up to these universities, but it's also, you know, a difficult stance to take because, scheduling because travel because you're going to be filling these stands or trying to and I think that um you know I think it's a good idea to not have a you know this like a blanket restart date where it's like we're starting here regardless because um if there's no if there's people there's people not in classes there's not going to be college athletics I think it's a little when it boils down to it it boils down to that if you can't fill a classroom you can't you can't feel the team and um you know, that's not the case for the NBA. That's not the case for the MLB. These are professional athletes. They're not affiliated with the colleges and universities, and there's so much more that goes into the NCAA than just the sport. Like we said, they're students. They um, they have, you know, student requirements. They have these things that they need to do. We have cafeterias filled with thousands of people. We have classrooms filled with 50-plus. I think it would be pretty um, difficult to justify having these teams take the field without having classrooms open. And back to what you said about it not seeming likely that there's going to be a vaccine in time, I don't think that without a vaccine, I don't think universities could safely open. I'm not saying that they they, they won't not open. I'm not saying that we're not going to be back in Hubbard Hall in for the fall, but I think that it's unsafe to open without a vaccine. I mean, and the one thing that, like you said there towards the beginning there about the NCAA, like, because I I do understand wanting to work with the presidents, wanting to work with health officials and being like, hey, we need to work with you guys to understand what your needs are, where you are at in the terms of this pandemic. But like you said, I, I do think the NCAA needs to take a little bit more responsibility. And what scares me is that they aren't. Because this isn't the first time that the NCEA is kind of like delegated or said we're going to let other people or like just say we're not going to handle that right now. I mean, you look at the name, image and likeness issue. This was an issue since, I mean, Ed O'Bannon had his lawsuit from UCLA about the NCAA football game. So we're talking early 2010s, somewhere in there when that started. So like, you know. It started then, and then it took the states making their own laws for them to start to say, okay, we'll work on it. Um, you're looking at, looking at now how they're handling NCAA violations. This is another one that um, the Titus and Tate podcast brought up. There is like often like we, we hear about these allegations of these schools like committing certain NCAA violations, like Kansas has been in the news for that. Um, like. Louisville is just now getting their notice of allegations for the stuff that happened with Rick Pitino. 
And Rick Pitino hasn't been the coach there for three years now. <laughs> and like you look at like um, the scheme, they outline Arizona and LSU, both of their coaches talking about how they're like Book Richardson saying, yeah, uh, Sean Miller's pulling out of his pocket to pay DeAndre Ayton and um, Will Wade of LSU saying, I'm going to, uh, or like I gave, uh, what's his name, Tremont Waters, a strong offer to come here. And they've had these wiretaps since 2016, 2017, and they still haven't issued any kind of NCAA violation for it. It is blatantly obvious they're doing things. And it's it's scary to me seeing that they're not taking initiative a little bit and say, and, not, and I'm not saying that they need to issue a blanket restart date, because like you said, that could be dangerous for them saying, Hey, we're going to start on this date regardless. I think that needs to be a little fluid, but I think they need to be working with the presidents and the health officials to work on maybe starting being like, okay, here's where we think we're tentative. You know, here's an area we could potentially do something, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It's it's scary to me a little bit that the NCAA is not at least having some kind of I mean, seemingly they're kind of just saying like, well, we're going to leave it up to the presidents because there's a lot of issues, too, with some schools like the West Virginia president said, we're going to play football starting in September, even if that means I have to strap up. Yeah. <laughs> like and he's and that guy is it. I think he said I think he's like when I looked it up, he was 78 He's in his mid seventies, say, and then you've got you know like the California State um, colleges over there, like San Jose State, San Diego State, and a few of the others in California that are at this point in time making decisions and saying we're not sure about the fall. So it's definitely really concerning how they're handling it so far, and I hope that, like you said, they do take some responsibility here. Um, and I do have to agree with you guys because um, the NCAA definitely should take responsibility, but at the same time giving it up to university presidents and health officials, it kind of goes to show because some states are already reopening and then they're also seeing like a spike in coronavirus um, cases coming back again. And then there's some states that, you know, are staying closed and continuing to get to fight out the virus before they reopen. And that kind of goes to show like, okay, if he leaves it up to the, or if um, what Mark Emmert said, leaving it up to the university presidents and health officials, it would just, it would kind of make it like, okay, so if Michigan wants to reopen, but California can't or vice versa, like that kind of thing, it just, it's on a state basis because the NCAA like can't, I guess, cover all of what's happening with coronavirus. Like, I mean, they know what's going on sports wise, but at the same time, like, are they keeping up with health officials to know, okay, this state has less coronavirus than this state and that kind of thing. Like, I think it's on a state, it should be on a state by state basis. But then at the same time, the, the season still shouldn't happen at all. Like, even if Michigan is open and ready to, like, play, I feel like they still shouldn't because their opponents in, say, like, Illinois or down south aren't ready to play, then how are they going to have a season in general? So that kind of thing. Like, um, just because we're ready doesn't mean other people will be. And I feel like everybody should just kind of take a break from the season happening. And he's right that, like, there can't really be a blanket because we don't know who's going to be open and who's not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Devin, were you going to chime in there? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, um, you know, I, I see the, the, where the NCAA is coming from as far as, you know, trying to be as fluid as possible because, um, you know, I actually recently got in a Twitter argument about this, about, um, you know, the assumptions that we can make now and the assumptions we can make in three months. And 
while we can base stuff on the things we know right now, it could be different. And I think that they're trying to leave it open as far as that goes to, you know, you know, maybe change their decision or, you know, roll with what they have at that point. And so I, yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense. I agree with you. I guess I'll have to throw it to you guys too on this one. And obviously it is fluid at this point and we don't know what what even i mean we don't even know really what june's gonna look like i mean in the beginning of may we had murder hornets and i mean so i mean god only knows what next what's gonna be next i mean can we also talk about the fact that we glossed over that the pentagon released footage of ufos like we we forget all these different <laughs> things that have happened and all these different things that have changed so god only knows what june and july has in store for us hopefully it's a lot better but yeah yeah um I mean, I, I guess I'm going to throw this to you. One of the things that's been proposed is a possible, I guess I'll say, quote unquote, a, a spring season that would start sometime in February. I mean, how realistic, Sarah, do you think something like that would be, whether it be a shortened season? Maybe they're only playing regional opponents, like, say, Michigan State stays in the, like, the, the region of the Midwest, something like that. How realistic would that be? Um, OK, so that's obviously an entire year from the coronavirus breakout. So um, I'd say it can possibly, like, it can possibly happen if, you know, we find a vaccine and it gets developed in time because I think it takes, I'm not sure how many months it specifically takes for vaccines to be developed, but um, I feel like if we give it until February and, you know, we wait, because an entire year after something breaks out definitely is enough waiting time to see, okay, where are we? I feel like if we reevaluate February 2021 and we're like, okay, where are we? How many cases have we had in the last three months? Um, how many cases do we have currently? How many deaths have we been having? Um, how many people have been recovering? If we kind of just take a look at the statistics and compare it to a few months before February 2021, we look at it and we're like, okay, you know, it's kind of reasonable to have a shorter season right now. You know, if people want to play their sport, we should allow them to go out there and play their sport. Um, if it's safe. And I feel like it has to still be 100% safe because we shouldn't, you know, put these kids out on the field if they're not, you know, they don't want to be or it's not safe for them to be because they're also, you know, they're our age. Like, how would you feel if your coach was like, all right, you know, it's safe or um, they want us to play, so we have to play, but, you know, you're like, okay, but it's not safe. Like, how would you feel, I guess, putting yourself out there for the risk of contracting the virus kind of thing, even a year from now? Like, we don't know how long it's going to take to, um, I guess, collect ourselves from what's going on because we don't know when it's going to start dying down. And sure, the governor can say, okay, cases are stopping, but reopening the state might make them spike again like it did in Texas, like it has in out west, that kind of thing. So I feel like even a year from now, it just it takes reevaluation. It takes you have to keep looking over it again and again. And you have to also, you know, take into consideration how these kids would feel being put out on the field, even though they love their sport and I'm sure would be willing to go out there and play their sport. It's a matter of like, okay, well, here's like, the, um, what's the word? Here's like what could happen if you do that, like the worst case scenario kind of thing. Right. Devin, how would you feel about a possible spring season? Um, initial reaction is I think it would be a scheduling nightmare. Um, having to reschedule and restructure the entire season, the entire, you know, what about tournaments? What about playoffs? I guess, like, there's a lot that's going to go into that as well as, um, um, 
you know, how many tests do we have? I, I still don't know that answer. How often would the players have to get tested? Would they have to be tested every day at practice? What happens uh, What happens if, um, you know, somebody contracts the coronavirus during one of the games? What ha- You know, do they sit out for two weeks? How do we know how long we should have them sit out for? You know, think about this past season. What if Joe Burrow got the coronavirus right before the college football playoff? I mean, there's just a lot that you kind of have to think about outside of, um, you know, just the game because it's not going to be just the game. It's going to look different and it's going to have to be played differently. You know, I honestly, like, I even come springtime, I'm not sure. I don't know if I could really predict that we would have enough tests, we would have enough information, we would have a vaccine that would allow us to put players back in the field. And like I said, you know, sports is something that, um, this is something I said in my column, that sports are something that we use to cope and we use to, you know, unite. And that's something we can't do right now. But we have to understand that, you know, health and safety have to be a priority right now. And if we're putting these players back in the field, if we're sending them across the country, if we're filling stadiums, even if you're six feet apart, a second wave of the coronavirus throughout the United States would be devastating. We've already seen what happened with this first one. Um, you know, I think the second wave would just be devastating, especially considering, you know, from the business standpoint, we have a record of people filing for unemployment. I mean, that is going to be it's going to be up. I think that there's just so much more to consider than just putting players on the field. And that's what I think a lot of people don't realize when they say, yeah, let's have football in the fall. Yeah, let's have just just let the players play. Don't don't put any money in the stadium. There's so much more that goes into that than just I think one other question that I think I haven't seen raised and I got to thinking about it from and this may be just specific to Michigan State, but I would imagine a lot of other campuses do it this way as well, is a lot of your athletes that are at Michigan State, like your underclassmen that are on campus, they a lot of them actually live in Case Hall with a bunch of other students. And so when you think about that, the only way that like sports are going to happen, it's like the college sports are going to happen is if the students are back on campus. So even if like these, stu- you know, the college athletes come back and a few of the football players are living in case hall and they're on a, you know, they're in, they're using the same elevators as students who aren't probably getting tested on a daily basis. Like they would be in the, in this scenario, like they would be exposing themselves to a lot if they had to stay there. Now, would in the scenario some but would they get moved to would they have their own would they you know uh change like case hall to an athlete only um dormitory or one of the other ones or something who knows but i do think that's something you have to think about as well because like what what would you even do because these kids a lot of them don't live in like their own like a lot of them do live in their own apartments and their own things off campus but like some of them don't It could be very interesting to see how that works out. But the one other question before we transition into a much lighter tone here is our non-revenues, which are very important to um, a lot of people, including us. So uh, how could the non-revenues work? Uh, Sarah, I'll kind of throw it to you. I mean, with obviously a lot of them don't have the crowd sizes. You know, usually it's typically just like a few smaller like a very small fan base usually a lot of its families and stuff i mean how could that be something that's possible at some point um coming from 
you know, obviously standpoint of I reported on gymnastics, so I know, you know, how non-revenue sports work. And you obviously reported on wrestling, tennis, all of that. Um, yeah, the crowd sizes are definitely small, but at the same time, it's still, we're putting 15 so gymnasts out on the floor with another 15 or so gymnasts from another state, another university. It's the same concept as football. Like, do we want to risk these girls' lives? Do we want to risk these wrestlers? Same thing with wrestling, same thing with tennis. Even being six feet apart, even not having a crowd, do we still want to put these kids out there and risk their health and safety? Same as the revenue sports, because just like just because obviously there's not a crowd doesn't mean that they couldn't still contract something or contract something from going, you know, home to being with their families back to the practice rooms in Jenison or in the tennis house or in, you know, I am West, any, anywhere that they practice, to going to meets or games where they're meeting up with 15 or so other players from another school, like I said. Like, it's just they're going to be meeting, still seeing so many different people in their time of, you know, being, like, doing their season that it's still the same risk as if we had football or basketball or hockey who are the three sports that a lot of people, you know, get attracted to kind of thing. So I guess it's... You know, you just have to look at it and be like, okay, just because, you know, the university doesn't really um, blow up their seasons and support them like they do the top three, football, base, or basketball, and hockey, um, it's still the matter of the moral and ethical matter of, okay, well, we still don't really want to risk these people's lives because they matter just as much as the football team matters and the basketball team matters, that kind of thing. There's certainly, at this point, just so many hurdles that have to be overcome to get to a point where we can get safe and happy times and get sports back. You know, specifically college sports is going to be a lot harder than just your professional ones, but a lot of obstacles to overcome. It's seemingly at this point from all the things we're hearing that the fall is going to be very difficult and we'll see, we'll see on a spring. But again, like we've iterated multiple times here, it's going to be really, really tough. So, We'll see. And I hope, guys, that we do. But I, yeah, ugh. it's sad. One last thing, too, is if you think about it, not just the people that the players are coming in contact with, but if somebody does contract it on the team, and then they go out and they touch all of the equipment. So, like, for a gymnast, if they touch the bars and the beams and the vault, or for a football player, if they touch, like, how are you supposed to know which football they touch at practice or, you know, which um, – basketball basketball players touch a practice that kind of thing because you use you know multiple of every equipment so everything would have to be sanitized and they'd have to take that time to clean everything and test everybody again and you know make sure that everybody's safe so i just think at this point it's safer to not have any sports until we are guaranteed 100 percent all in the clear from both the governor the cdc the president on every level that everything's okay absolutely yeah yep So next, we're going to transition into a more fun, a more entertaining, or, or not, I mean, I guess it was whatever you want to call it, but this one's our little fun thing. So on our last podcast, we did a dining hall and eating establishments draft that Sarah was a part of, I was a part of, and it had a lot of debate in our newsroom, um, a lot of debate. I still think my draft was the best out of there, but, you know, don't at me. Uh <laughs> yeah, I I stand by it. I still can't believe Brody slid to me at three. But 
This time we're going to be doing a residential hall and um, off-campus housing draft. So, but the way we're going to do it this time, somebody raised to me because I, I wanted to hear what people thought on our draft. So I was sharing it a little bit. And somebody raised me the question, it's hard to compare because we didn't all have the same number of dining halls or the same number of other eating establishments. So it's hard to compare. So what we're going to do this time is we each have to draft three residential halls and then one off-campus living. So it could be an apart, uh, apartment complex or whatever it is that you have in your head. Um, and that's where we're going to go with. So... For the picks, Sarah, I'm going to give you your first dibs on where you want to go ahead and choose your where you want to draft from. Are we doing residence halls for the first three and then apartments for the last one? Or you can draft them in whatever whatever order you want. Okay, um, I'm going to start with residence halls because uh, I personally haven't lived in an apartment. Wait, wait, wait. But... Yeah, you got to pick what position you're going to pick from. So one, two, or three. No, you're good. You're um, I'll good. You know what? I'll go with the middle one. I'll go with two. Devin, where do you want to pick from? Um, are we doing a snake draft? Yep. All right, I'll take third. Okay. I'm gonna. I have the number one overall pick, and this is exciting. I'm not gonna lie, oh. and I'm oh. very, very glad I got the number one pick because last time, Sarah stole like every one of my picks. So this time it won't happen. I don't have to worry about it. And I get the one I always wanted at number one, and that is Hubbard Hall. And here's why. People are hearing this and they're going to not understand why. But listen, yes, Hubbard Hall right now is an absolute mess. But I have some theories on this. And I want to throw it at you guys. The way that I'm going to compare Hubbard Hall and, and make a comparison, I'm going to compare it to when the Bucks took Giannis Antetokounmpo at 15 in the draft. And that is, he, Hubbard is going to be a project. Very raw, has a lot of potential to be good at some point. So when this whole thing comes down with the pandemic and maybe Michigan State starts to get their revenue flow back up, which hall do you guys think they're going to renovate first if they decide they want to do a renovation project? I think you put a lot of thought into this that I didn't expect. Yeah, I but think you do have a good point, too, because Hubbard is one of the oldest halls. If they decide they want to renovate one, Hubbard is number one on that list. And it's, it, but it's, it's also similar to Giannis in the fact that it has a lot of potential to be really good. It's big, tall long wide has everything you as a already has a great quality and a tremendous parties in it but Giannis may never be a good shooter just in the sense that Hubbard is always going to have its location where it's at it's always going to suck but like I said I think it's this is a very high potential pick at some point in time and it's near and dear to my heart so I'm going to take it I'm going to take it. Okay. And number two, was that, Sarah, you were number two, right? Yeah. Okay, you're on um, the clock. Honestly, I'm going to have to say Acres. Um, not only because it was my first, you know, dorm on campus that I lived in, 
So I have that emotional connection, but also because I like quad style. I like knowing who's using my bathroom because in sweet style, I didn't talk to any, I didn't talk to either of my street mates. So I didn't know who these two random girls were using my bathroom. Um, I also like the living room setup and, you know, having a wall between all four beds. So like it's two on one side, two on the other, and then a living room and a bathroom. So it's kind of set up like a hotel room. And I, I just, I really like that setup. It was more effective than the sweet style one was. And then I just have to say, like, it's in a perfect area, like, with the, um, I guess, with campus, because it has the buses 30 and 31, which are the main buses that you need that go to it. It has a cafeteria in the hall. There's these parties, like, right next to it. That's literally a two-minute walk. Uh, it's it, Personally, it's just one of my favorite halls, so I definitely have to take acres. That's fair. Devin, you got the back-to-back at three and four here. I'm taking uh, 1855. That's a solid pick. That's just give up. It's a new apartment. Got your own cooking space. And it's, you know, right by the Brez, right by everything. Right by Brody. I'm going to have to take 1855 with the first pick. So you win apartment complex before you took your dorm halls there. I did. and infamously do not like dorms. That's also true. Um, you'll notice that you'll notice that I'm not going to select Holmes Hall because I did not like Holmes Hall, and I lived there. <laughs> That's I don't think anyone should be choosing. We we specifically avoided Holmes Hall in our dining hall draft as well because yeah. Gumble also lived there at one point in time. I think Gumble lived there his freshman year. He said, and he goes, "I will never take." He goes, "I wouldn't even touch the floor of Holmes Hall." So understandably but Devin you have the next pick as well you know the next pick is going to be hard I don't I don't don't have very much experience in the halls um geez you guys are kind of putting me on the spot I think I'm gonna have to go um you know acres is gone come on um I would take wonders bold pick, but I think that Wonders isn't a bad uh, place to be, especially considering location. So, yeah. yeah. I, can't, I can't give much in-depth about Wonders, but I know that they have, like, the... They're kind of smaller rooms. I'll take it. I'll take Wonders. Okay. Sarah, you're back on the clock. I'm going to go with Case Hall just because of location being literally five minutes from the football field um, and tailgates. Uh, Every time I've been there to visit my friends who live there from James Madison, I love their rooms. They're a nice size. The bathrooms, the shower is huge compared to living in Acres and McDonald because those showers are like showering in a coffin. Uh, Their bathrooms are also really nice. Like it's, they're clean. Like the ones in East Campus are not clean at all. The ones in case have, like, these nice tile walls and stuff, so I definitely, like, appreciated going there to visit my friends. And then, obviously, again, they have a dining hall in the reference hall, and then they have, like, they have the Wilson Dining Hall literally right next to it, and Holden Dining Hall and Holden's parties, and there's just parties in case, so, like, it's literally just, like, the perfect area to be in, so I'm going to have to go with case for my second. You mentioned the showers, and... Listen, I, I'm not very, I'm not a tall dude. I'm like five nine. So it, when I have to duck to get under the shower head in East neighborhood, like at the at my Hubbard, uh, 
bathroom. Like, that's a problem. It's just, it's such a problem. And like my roommate, he's about, he's well over six foot. And he, like, I complained like the first day. I was like, dude, this sucks. I had to like duck under the shower head. And he goes, this is, he goes, are you kidding me? Like, don't, don't like complain to me. I'm like, because he goes, I have to like hunch down in there. Like there's, there is a serious thing about the showers in East neighborhood. That's just, oh God, not great. Not great. So I have the back to back now. This is tough because what I'm going to say is like a lot of like the halls at Michigan State, they're all just so similar. So it's really hard to differentiate. I can't say that word. Really hard to tell them apart and separate them. So I'm going to go with Wilson Hall for, again, the location. You're close. You're in the middle of campus. You also have pasta bar late night. And then you also have like on their floors, they also have, um, I, is it on the, I forget which side of the building it is that has on their floors. They have like these really awesome study lounges that are like sponsored by like engineering companies that are actually like pretty sweet, except for the sixth floor where my cousin lived and I spent a lot of time there. So, um, but also you could also see my other pick Hubbard from the top floor of Wilson. So that's a perk. And yeah, I'm going to take Wilson. And then, trying to think of where else I want to go with this. You know, I'm going to take my, I'm just going to complete my residential halls while I think of what apartment complex I want to go with. And I'm going to take Butterfield over in Brody neighborhood, because I feel like Brody neighborhood is always heralded as like the nicest area like the best, um, just simply the best. So why not take the one that has the best name, Butterfield? I mean, come on. I don't even know which which one Butterfield is back there, but never walked in there. But I'm going to take Butterfield because it has the greatest name and it's in Brody neighborhood. So I don't think you can fight that too much. And so that means, Sarah, you are back on the clock once again. Um. Okay, I'm also going to finish out my... Actually, no, I'm going to go with apartment complex and I'm going to say, um, I probably would do landmark on Grand River. Mm. Um, there is one flaw with landmark. It's the fact that the elevators never work like they, I swear to God, at least one of them is always down all the time. Um, but it is in the center of Grand River. So it's really close to like, um, all of the bars. Like it's literally a two second walk from Harper's and Rick's. It's right by all of the food places. The 31 bus comes out here. Um, Like, it's literally a five-minute walk from the library as well. And then just the fact that I basically live here with, you know, my boyfriend, and I've lived here with friends for a while. Um, It's, I I don't know, I have a special connection to it, too. So I definitely have to go with Landmark for my third kid. That's fair. Devin, you get to finish up your draft with the back-to-back. Oh, I have a back-to-back. Oh, boy. Um, so the first pick I'm going to take right now is, um, uh, Campbell Hall and that is in North neighborhood. It's, um, kind of right off of Grand River. And I'm taking this hall because of the potential that you said with Hubbard. If you look at Campbell Hall at night, it's probably one of the best looking halls. And it's, you know, um, there's places where you can make your own food in there and stuff. And I think that if renovated, 
It get pretty. It could be a good vibe. There could be some good vibes in Campbell Hall. So okay. that is my that's my pick for that one. And do we pick um two apartments or another? You have three dorm halls, one apartment. Oh boy. <laughs> You know, can I can I go none? Um, let me let me look. Let me look. I feel like since you don't have experience in the dorms, you could, you should get to pick another apartment instead. Just to be fair. I mean, if you yeah, want to pick right? another apartment, you can go for it. Because you didn't, you lived at home, didn't you? Like you gave up on home. Yeah. You went back yeah. home. So you don't have the experience. Wait, why don't you select home? Can you, I'm gonna commute. I pick commute. <laughs> okay. Yes. The, the best food. It's free, and I get to do whatever I want. No roommates. No roommates. Yeah. Perfect. Home. All right. That's a solid one. I'll give it to you. So now, and I'm only gonna pass. I'll let it pass because Devin, you experienced it, and it's just it just fits. It's perfect. So. There. What were you going to say, Devin? No, I just said, there we go. Okay. All right, Sarah, you get to finish up your draft now. Okay, for the last residence hall, I'm going to go with Landon Hall. I'm not a fan of community style, but the food, obviously, is great. It's right on Grand River. Uh, It has a good bus route. And when I visited my friend there, it was actually, like, really pretty. And I like the setup of the bedrooms. The bathrooms are very clean. So, like, I guess I could tolerate community style if I did live there. But, um, yeah, I'm going to have to go with Landon for my last pick. Okay. Yeah, Gumbel will love that choice. So that's – he has an obsession with Landon. It's kind of unhealthy, but it oh, is yeah. what it is. Um, now I get to finish up my draft. And while I could go with, you know, the nice choices like the hub, which, I mean, they did – didn't they have, like I thought they, they had like some sort of violation of some sort, but I don't even remember what it was. But I know the hub, people really like the hub. Um, what was the other one I was thinking? Isn't like, I think it's like the Abbott or something that's like getting ready to open. But, yeah, the Abbott's building. Yeah, so, but I'm not going to go that route. I'm going to go with East Lansing Legend Cedar Village. And just for the sake of its the couch burning and the atmosphere of Cedar village. I, I can't turn it down. I'm just going to take it. And I mean, like where Cedar village is at, I mean, you think about it, it's in a good location, that area. So, I mean, the, the what you're living in is not great, but it's Cedar village. Like you guys can't turn down Cedar village, like in the atmosphere, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. That's fair. I think that's what I'm going to go with. So my draft was Hubbard, Wilson, Butterfield, Cedar Village. Devin, you had Campbell. 1855, Wonders, Campbell, and Home. And then Sarah, what was yours again? Acres, um, Case, Landmark on Grand River, and Landon. All right. All right. Well, I don't. I. It's hard to differentiate be, between us. It really is. So I'm gonna. I'm. We're gonna social this out, and we're gonna figure out. If we're gonna have a debate, and we'll figure it out who had who had the better draft this time. Because unlike last time, I think it's a little harder to separate us. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to tell. I don't have a lot of experience with the Hulk. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of spitballing a little bit. The Wonders pick was kind of um, was out there. But Wonders is nice, though. I think, if I'm remembering right, I think Wonders also has, like, a on their first floor, like, an actual little game room, if I remember right. They have, like, a ping pong they table and stuff. Here. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Was so, I mean, that's yeah. not a bad pick. I, I've only no. been in there a handful of times, I think, but, you know, it's a solid pick. But, no, yeah. Yeah. I, we're going to, we're gonna, we'll social this out. We'll figure out who had the best draft. And, I mean, like I said, this time it's – I think the only thing, Sarah, that we can agree with from the last one we did, the dining hall draft, was that outside of Paulo's union pick, his draft was the worst by far. Yeah. It was horrendous. He took back – I think he took Starbucks, the, like the business college one, and then it, it was just – Sorry, Apollo, for the hate, but man, that was a rough draft. Anyways, that's all we have for you guys today. Appreciate um, Sarah and Devin taking the time to come on and talk with us. And we will be back in two weeks. And two weeks, that's going to seem like a really long time in quarantine, but we'll get through it. So again, thank you to Sarah and Devin. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you in two weeks. Thank you.